All right. Welcome back, folks, to another edition of the Bibliotheques podcast. Today, we are dissecting the Great Gatsby movie from 2013, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Jay Gatsby, Carrie Mulligan as Daisy Buchanan, Toby Maguire as Nick Carraway, and Joel Edgerton as Tom Buchanan. I'm super excited to do this because in re-watching this movie, I had different opinions about it than what I had originally, and I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about what some of those are, but I mean, this is going to be a pretty uh, pretty loose podcast, I think. I don't have any kind of particular agenda. I figure we can just kind of like dive right in and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. Maybe a good place to start, Cody. This movie on kind of a macro level, like high bird's eye view of it, it does a lot of things really well and other things not so well. So let's start where it's really good as far as its interpretation of the book. What do you what do you like about this movie? What are you seeing that it's doing well? Well, I think one place to start is in terms of a movie written ripped from a book or directly adapted of a uh, written story. I thought it does about as good a job as any book to movie transition of getting all the events in place. I think, I think that's just right off the bat. There's no part of the book where you're like, dang, I can't believe they missed this plot point or they cut this character out. It's all there. It's a good with, like, point. With some exceptions, obviously we can talk about, I think the biggest one for us is Gatsby's dad in terms of like, just a part, like an emotional thing at the end. But in, other than that, right, you don't I mean, miss any major plot points. Right, that's a good call out. But yeah, I mean, you're right. From F- Gatsby as a book, it translates so well to a movie because the book is segmented in such easy scenes and just kind of like individual compartments that you can easily translate to a movie. The book is almost written like a movie. It's nine scenes. It's not really nine chapters, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. So, no, I agree with you. That's one of my big things that the movie does really well is it is it gets all of the major stuff in there. Some of the other things I thought it do, does really well, it takes this really kind of time PC movie and it brings it into the 21st century in a really interesting way with music. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that happens in the first 15 minutes is there's a huge Jay Z needle drop for um, church in the wild. Um, the song with him and Kanye and Frank ocean. Like that's like that right away. It has all the images of 1920s, but you just can't hit with this classic New York rapper sound, which I thought was a really cool juxtaposition. Right. And throughout the whole movie, they hit you with contemporary music that has some kind of like 1920s feels to it in some ways. So there's like, I don't even know how you like what the word would be to describe these kind of music, but you know, like, well, like all the songs are about decadence, right? Well, yeah, I was going to say, though, like, you know, like songs like Flappers, like the that whole thing, like that whole dance craze and everything like there's songs that start to sound kind of like that. And then they transition into something that's more modern feeling. And so it's 
it takes an audience that at this point is a hundred years ahead of when this story is being told and brings you right there. So you feel like you can totally be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I feel that way too. So one thing I also like was just that this movie really swung at it. Like they didn't hesitate. They didn't try to like play it super straight. They really made it its own interpretation of it. And obviously when they swing a little too hard and a little too early or too late, that's when we can get into kind of stuff that we maybe didn't like as much, but to kind of wrap up what we like kind of like from like the 30,000 foot view, I really like that they really, they gave a shit and they really tried to make this a movie and they tried to make it an event. Another thing of that is the casting. I was kind of writing down that, and I'll try to transition this into what maybe I didn't like so much. I did like the casting. Everyone's a little bit old to play all the characters are supposed to. Everyone was either in their like late thirties or early forties when they were in, when they were doing these characters, I think, except for Elizabeth Debicki who plays Jordan Baker, who I thought was perfect. Oh, she's great. She was perfectly. Yeah, she's, she was perfectly cast, but like, you know, Leo's a little old. Toby Maguire's a little old. Joel Edgerton is a little old. And I thought they played the characters great. And I think that they had like the kind of, like acting chops and movie stardom to really make it work. Leo, especially. So let's, let's get into casting. Cause I know you said that that's an area where, you know, like you don't like some of the things. First of all, Leonardo DiCaprio as Gatsby is just perfect. Leo in this movie, <laughs> he's, he hits you with that, that first glimpse at him with like the fireworks going off in the background. Like, I've never been more attracted to a man in my life. (laughs) He, you need someone with kind of like the gravitas of like super movie stardom Mm -hmm. to do that. But at the same time, Leo's kind of in his private life, a man of mystery himself. He's always like dating gorgeous models and then not dating them anymore. You see paparazzi pictures of him just like dressed like, a dad whose kid is in like third grade because he's so rich and famous. He doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And he's like, or you'll see him like, like he broke up with like a woman. And then the next day was like seen on his yacht with a bunch of models. And it's like, what is it like to like be with this guy? He is a version of Jay Gatsby in his own life. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And, and I know I, I feel what you're saying about like being a little old, maybe, I think it's hard to pull off being 30 in yeah. any movie. It's a very- Do you know what I mean? Cause like if you cast an actual 30 year old in any of these roles, they're going to look too young maybe. Yeah. And so we'll get into this later because we have our own little kind of like recasting that we're going to do. But the struggle that I had was looking at actors that are younger and being like, that's not believable at all. Yeah, no, not even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the younger people doing this were obviously, like I said, Elizabeth Debicki and then uh, Carrie Mulligan at the time was mm-hmm. a fitting um, kind of age period. So that was good. But, uh, and that's also another thing of Hollywood usually casting women younger, but like as far, as far as like the dudes, I was like, I, it took a while for me to cast, to make a younger focused cast while also being like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, let's go to Carrie Mulligan since you brought her up. I thought she was perfect for Daisy. 
Um, I thought so too. Her, I thought she nailed the voice because the voice is so important. There's, there's a few things that I feel like you really have to get right with Daisy. The voice I think is the most important one, but the other thing is this person has to be innocent in a way like she can't be over sexualized like Myrtle. And that's why Isla Fisher was great for Myrtle, but Daisy can't be over sexualized. And she also needs to have that kind of like, I'm, I've been rich for my entire life vibe. And Carrie Mulligan just pulls all of it off super well. I 100% agree. You you nailed everything on the head, and I thought she's a great actress. So all the scenes where she's in distress, like the scene where uh, Gatsby and Tom are arguing and yelling at her to say that you don't love him, you love me at the same time. She's acting the hell out of that scene, looks confused, looks scared. Yeah, was, so I thought she was great. Her husband in this movie, Tom Buchanan, played by Joel Edgerton, I thought was also perfect. He pulls off the douchey vibe great, and they help him out with that a little bit in this movie, too, with some of the... I mean, obviously, one of the things that's great about this movie, too, is that they pull straight from the book and so much of the dialogue, but they also give Joel room to work with his douchiness. Like, in one of the first scenes, and we don't get this in the book, he's taking Tobey Maguire and Nick Carraway through, like, a trophy room, yeah. And and that's not in the book, but it's just like it helps with the whole like close the yearbook deal. And yeah, I mean, he really pulls it off the sleazy, racist, cheating on your wife, dick. He really gets it. Yeah. it And since it's a movie, you can't rely on the narrator to do your exposition for you. It's show, not tell. Mm-hmm. So instead of having what would have been like probably 45 seconds or a minute of Nick explaining who tom was while he like sits in a chair which is the actual introduction what you get instead is you get this kind of like aha back when i was a yale man and then he like points to all the trophies and you get to see him riding and playing football and he's got a football in the trophy room just like (laughs) oh you just have a ball on you huh man like and you can do that in 15 seconds and you get to show it instead of having to like talk about it so i thought you know this movie also realizes that it has a whole book to squeeze into just like a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, with any time we can shave off is going to be necessary. And they did it really well. Okay. So I want to save Toby Maguire and Nick Carraway for last, but we already brought up that Elizabeth Debicki, she's a great Jordan Baker. She obviously, they don't give her as much to do in this movie as she does in the book, which is kind of a shame in my opinion, because Jordan is a really interesting character with little bits throughout the book that kind of like sprinkle in more of this carelessness, this theme of carelessness throughout the book. So we lose a little bit of that in the movie, but again, it's a movie, so you're going to have to shave some stuff. Isla Fisher brought her up as Myrtle Wilson. She's perfect. Just gets that kind of like 20s boss ass motherfucker vibe going on. I don't know. Isla Fisher, (laughs) the first time I saw her was in Wedding Crashers. Yeah. And so like this role worked even better because I had already seen her in that. Confirms a lot of priors. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Just as this kind of like, over-sexualized version of what this person probably is supposed to be, but she's great. I I think those are the people that we really need to talk about. 
before. I like the Debicki casting too because, and this will transition into Tobey Maguire. Yeah, but I like that because she's so tall as a person mm-hmm. that her yeah she's towering like over. Yeah, she's super tall, <laughs> and her towering over Tobey Maguire is I thought actually like great for the thing like he's supposed to be intimidated by her all the time and how like just her like nature is. So because you don't get all the time with her and like the emotional reasons why he's kind of afraid of her getting the physical presence is another show. Don't tell loophole that they find their way into. Totally agree. So that gets us to Toby Maguire as Nick Carraway. Now, just from a look standpoint, I think it's fine. Toby Maguire, like this was the easiest one for me where I was like, oh, you could throw so many different guys into that role. It was, it and was it when I work. recast it, it was the easiest decision too. Right. For whatever reason though, Toby Maguire, in my opinion, just sucks in this movie. Like he's so bad, dude. Well, I will transition this into another reason. I, the one, one problem I had with the movie. Okay. They were trying to toe the line of, making him Nick Carraway and making him F Scott Fitzgerald. And if he was just Nick Carraway, I don't think it would have been that bad, but they made him do both. And they have this weird plot of like, so in the, when you read the great Gatsby, you just get Nick Carraway's internal monologue and his retelling. But in the movie, they make it that he's in like a mental institution for like rehab and, like alcoholism and anxiety and depression. And he's writing the great Gatsby as a like therapist recommended method of therapy and like processing his emotions. And that makes zero sense. I feel like if there was a separate F Scott Fitzgerald narration and a Toby Maguire, Nick Carraway, then I wouldn't have a lot of problems. But the thing is they really, tr- and, and this is, I, I appreciate the attempt to try to really focus on the writing of F Scott Fitzgerald. Cause like you said, so much of the dialogue is just ripped from the books. I love it when that happens, but there's a lot of times where there's like, you know, the, you read the great Gatsby and there's these very kind of long, not necessarily rambling, but off topic from the plot descriptions from F Scott Fitzgerald about America, New York society. And they really throw those in there and kind of, you know, shoehorned ways and it is out of, of, of very clearly a love and appreciation for the text, which again, I appreciate. It just is very odd to just throw that in there. Yeah, I'm with you. That was the, the first thing I wrote down when I was watching this movie was, why is Nick in rehab? Like, and you see like a prescription or like a diagnosis that the doctor wrote and he's like suffering from insomnia and alcoholism. Like that's not the Nick I know. (laughs) Like, yeah, he might've like ended this experience of being bummed out. He's not, yeah, he's bummed. He's not like, (laughs) he doesn't need therapy or maybe, I mean, he, he might need therapy, but he doesn't like, he doesn't need rehab, (laughs) you know? Yeah. He's in an old 1920s sanatorium. Like get my guy out of there. What it's are we doing? so it's so weird and and it and they'll like it, it it manifests itself by like you know putting text on screen okay so this and- is the next part this is the next thing that i really was not a huge fan of in this movie i don't know what the deal was in the art department but there are so many different artistic ways 
that they present information on screen. It's so chaotic. Like you'll get in Times New Roman font sometimes words going across the screen as like a newspaper headline. And then you'll get weird like handwritten font for something that Nick Carraway is writing like throughout the whole thing. It's just like, dude, this is yeah, you'll too get, much. You'll get like ash in the air. That's actually typewriter letters and it will like fly and hit your screen and form words like it's snow hitting your windshield. And it's like, yeah, like pick one. But the thing is, it does all this kind of chaotic text, but it starts out with this extremely angular Great Gatsby opening title which I thought was the best aesthetic. If they would have kept with the very sharp angular, because it, like, it starts with black and white, and then it comes to this very rich, vibrant gold, and it's extremely angular, and it kind of zooms in, and it breaks off, and it's very intense and very like angular and stark. And I thought, when I first were on the rewatch, I was like, oh, I totally forgot that that's like, kind of like the poster aesthetic that they went with. I was like, I wonder how much of that is in the movie. None. Yeah. I love that. And I thought like, or I feel like I could like buy into the different types of text if they would have picked one and been consistent with it and made it a theme. But it was pretty, like you said, pretty chaotic. Yeah. And I mean, uh, beyond text, they're like throwing actual newspapers on screen sometimes that have like headlines for what Gatsby's doing. So like, I, I get it because in the book, a lot of what's going on is you're hearing about the different gossip surrounding Gatsby and they want a way to to illustrate that but for me it's kind of like what you said it's just pick one and figure out a way to do that well it just felt like it's this weird smorgasbord of text and artistic styles that they just throw at the screen Mm -hmm. so I thought that was super super strange yeah but the thing is I like them as individual choices, at least some of them, the the couple of the texts on one, but like the scene where Nick is drunk for the first time in the apartment with Myrtle and Tom and that crew. And you get kind of like the every yellow light in New York is a different story type thing. And it kind of has that. I thought that was very interesting and colorful and sweet. And there's a jazz horn. And I thought that was like, that fit the vibe very well and it kind of matched what the text was trying to say. And then you'd get into something just super random and different. And then it would cut back to like normal. These are people in our room talking. Right. So let, let's talk about that a little bit because that's something that the movie I thought did really well. Anything, any moment that needed to be chaotic, they did perfectly. So the party in the, infidelity apartment in new york was great because it's just madness and that's you know that's basically what it would look like to be drunk for the first time all the parties at gatsby's are just blown the fuck out just larger than life super cool looks like a party that you'd want to go to very over the top but it gets the point across that this party was like the place to be and even to moments where you know, later in the story where they're in the parlor room in the hotel and there's all of that chaos going on, like they get that stuff. They do that really well. But it's it's the little details of this book that make it so great to me and have such a strong message that I think the movie kind of misses on in some in some instances. 
I just want to ask you a, a very serious question really quick. How did you feel about them skipping over the part where they bought the dog? <laughs> Dude, I the fact <laughs> that the dog is even in there. <laughs> I was I, I wrote it down specifically because I was like, oh, man, because she because Myrtle's like, can we get a dog for the apartment? And Tom's like, yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And then they cut to a dog. And the first thing I was like, hey, big redemption moment for book Tom. That is not a police dog. <laughs> that is a schnauzer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for real, bro. Oh, my gosh. But I mean, even that scene, just that that party in the apartment is like, it's great because they go places with it that the book either chooses not to or can't. So like. Nick overhearing Tom and Myrtle in the bedroom together is it's a detail that makes it more uncomfortable and more believable to be Nick in that situation that you don't fully get in the book. Uh, But things like that, where the movie just kind of like goes there where the book didn't. Yeah, mostly because they can. Right. You know, it's like implied that what they're doing in the book. But F. Scott's not the type of guy to be like, yeah, Nick heard all this stuff. And this is a list of all the things he heard. You can do it in a movie and stuff. But so in this movie came out in 2013, we had just basically graduated high school, started college at this point. Do you remember the first time seeing this movie and specifically seeing that first Gatsby party? Yeah, I was like, I can't wait to be an adult. This is gonna be fucking sick. How much of a letdown is life knowing that you've never been to a party that cool? You know what? It's fine because now I'm just <laughs> thinking about like, God, imagine drinking all that gin. My skull would split open the next day. How do these people survive? Right. Well, I guess when you're just like in that amount of lap of luxury, if I was living like Daisy or something, I would just like literally always be drunk. Just the pride and prejudice thing. It's like just you're always just chilling. For sure. Um, one thing I I wrote down is that I so I watched this movie this weekend with my girlfriend, and she want she put down the comment that uh, Gatsby drives like you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> when Gatsby's taking uh, Nick to lunch for the first time to give him the spiel about who he really is, he's just whipping in the big yellow death mobile. <laughs> So I love that too, because that's a great, uh, that's also a great example of how this movie just makes this story bigger and brighter. Because for one, I have a hard time believing that any of those cars were capable of driving like that. And no, they were going like 50 miles an hour. That's, that's what, that's what you see when you see Gatsby whipping in that thing. Yeah. So they're like drifting in in and out of lanes, like around traffic. Like I don't think the axles were built to handle this kind of driving back then. Or maybe they were, but the tires were not like those steel (laughs) frames. Yeah. That definitely is capable of killing a woman at 30 miles an hour. But it's, it's another example of how like with the music, it makes the whole story feel more modern and more exciting because the cars drive faster. The music's louder. The parties are bigger. And on top of that, it's very, very, at least it looks like it intentionally more vibrant in so many scenes so yeah a hundred percent it's like they just turn the color dial up on your like iphone and that's what they shoot the whole movie in yeah and i and and that and the thing is 
I made a note of being of saying like once. So the movie starts out and it's all hot tones. It's summer. People are partying. There's parties. There's music. But as soon as Gatsby and Daisy start seeing each other on the sly, the cinematography color palette immediately changes to cool tones. Yeah. And doesn't revert back up until the hottest day of the year scene. The and then what well, after Myrtle's death, it returns to cool, intense, kind of melancholy tones. The Lana Del Rey tone. Yeah, the Lana tones. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple of the big kind of scenes in this movie. I think the first one, you know, we talked about the Valley of Ashes just in like the cars driving through it a little bit. I loved that they were able to make this forsaken land look truly awful in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, not a whole lot more to say about it, but it's just like, it really takes from the book and, you know, they're dubbing over it with Nick Carraway's voice, direct lines from the book the whole time too. But it's great that they can just take that description and really bring it to life. Or in this case, death, because that Valley of ashes, quote unquote, is really just the worst place on earth. Yeah. I thought they did a great job with that. The way that they used the extras um, acting as like workers in the coal depository. They did a great job with the set design and the costume design and the makeup. These people look hot. They look dirty. They look sad. It was really, really well done. Yeah. And then, I mean, we talked about the party. I don't think we really need to go over that, except I love, I just love whoever's playing the trumpet on that balcony. I don't know why. That's like one of my favorite parts in this movie. Just that guy. Guys going ham, bro. Screaming on the on the uh, trumpet, just like outside in New York. It's fuck. It's a great touch. Let's talk about this first Gatsby party, though. I really wanted to go to this party. As a like you, as we said, like when I was younger, now looking at it, I'm more like you or something just kind of like, oh, boy, that's uh, that looks like a chore, to be honest. And. To make matters worse, it was reinforced by the fact that the douchey guy that goes with Jordan, who makes an appearance in the book, we didn't really talk about him very much, I don't think, but I just realized that that guy is everywhere at that party. Oh, yeah, my man. <laughs> oh my gosh, how did, uh, how did he hit you in this movie? Like one of the only people who's who talks in the movie with dialogue. That is a real person that I know. (laughs) Yes. Now on the other end of the spectrum though, we talked about this a little bit, but the moment where Gatsby reveals himself to Nick, I honestly don't think Leonardo DiCaprio as a human being has ever looked better than in that moment. Yeah. It really hit him at just the peak of his movie stardom. Cause he did this and Wolf of Wall Street that those both came out this summer or that right, summer right around the same time yeah i was watching this with my brother and we were talking about how leonardo dicaprio is kind of an interesting choice for gatsby because first of all gatsby is never really described as being like a jaw dropper uh looks wise like it just that doesn't really come up in the story but to carry this role, I feel like you kind of have to be. And I never really saw Leo that way, but he just kills it, especially in this moment. 
I kind of disagree. I, I don't think you have to be the best looking guy to be Gatsby. You just have to have the charm and the swag. Okay. Yeah. No. Leo, Leo, Leo's got the energy for it. He, cause he's a capital M movie star. Right. No, I think you're right. And that that's actually reflected in my, uh, in my recasting of this role too, I think a little bit, but, uh, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to, I'm just going to say it. I don't think you're going to like my choice. Okay. I'm excited to hear it. The come down scene from this party though, is one of my favorites in the movie. One, because it has my favorite song in the movie. Although it's a different version than if you listen to like the the score, uh, like on Spotify or whatever from Florence and the Machine. It's great. Go listen to it. But this come down scene's great because it's like you get all of the little drunk people at the end, like falling over each other and all that stuff. It's amazing. We've all been there too. <laughs> I thought they included the car crash at the end of the first party too. You gotta. I mean, how dude can- flipped his jalopy. <laughs> All right, so let's skip ahead because we talked a little bit about Gatsby and Nick in the car and his insane driving. Let's go to lunch, though. And I just want to say, when they go to lunch with Wolfsheim, who wants to eat lunch in a place like that? Yeah, it's like, it'd be like going like, hey, we're going to grab lunch. Where? Uh, the strip club. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, they have a really good like breakfast bar. It's like, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's in a cellar. There's like a burlesque show it's going easy. on on stage. It's it looks hot. It looks uncomfortable. People are standing on tables like it's noon. <laughs> what are we doing? Got to go to work, bro. <laughs> I know it's insane. How did you feel about uh, Wolfsheim or as they say in the movie, I believe they say Wolfsheim. Wolfsheim. Uh, I thought the guy who played him did fine. He's just supposed to be sketch. He's another one who got a lot less time. I guess he's only got two scenes in the book, only one in the movie, but you know, not a lot to work with. You're supposed to get that. He's like sketchy and he does that well. So, so the interesting thing about the movie and what it plays up where I don't think it does as much in the book is it basically says that Wolfsheim has kind of like, pimped out Gatsby to be his cover to get yeah, he's in his with front people. man. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's actually, I actually like that part of the book where it go, where, you know, this I'm a jumping scenes now, but when Tom, they're in the hottest day of the year, hotel room, Tom basically lays out, I think a better job than in the books, what exactly Gatsby does quote unquote and he, it's heavily implied that all the bootlegging and gangster gambling shit that Wolfsheim does, he launders that money through Gatsby, and that's how Gatsby has his millions. He's like, you know, the front man, the legitimate business for all of Wolfsheim's uh, no goodery. Okay, which, so, so you like- which you can kind of get from the book, but it's not as explicit as how Tom breaks it out. Yeah. Where it's like drugstores, yes, but it, he was selling Wolfsheim liquor through that, and there's all this like stock stuff that's kind of, that isn't explained as well. But you know, it's all it's all through Gatsby. I buy that. I guess, and I I guess I'm wrong in this, but in the book, I thought of it more as like a partnership between the two. Like Wolfsheim put on put Gatsby on to all this stuff, but now it's less like. Gatsby has to answer to him all the time and yeah and in the movie they really kind of emphasize that Gatsby is like his 
almost like delivery boy. Yeah, no, I think we're talking about the same thing because I think that's because in the, I think in the books, it's definitely more of like a partnership and we do business together. But I think for the purposes of the movie, you just kind of need to hammer home the point that Gatsby can't be trusted. And if they're choosing to make it kind of like because Tom doesn't know everything, he knows a lot of it, but doesn't know a lot of it. He, but he's making the point of like, yeah, Gatsby's just this front for this criminal underground when it might be more of a partnership even though they're doing business together. And I don't think that either in either one Gatsby answers to him, but it's just a convenience for Wolfshine to legitimize a lot of the business he does. Okay. Well, that brings up a few thoughts for me, but let's get back to that because we're getting into the point now when we get tea with Daisy, where the movie kind of takes a turn. And I think we lose what some of the book brings in terms of its social commentary. Right. But Tea with Daisy's awesome. The that scene when this is movie great. wants to be uncomfortable, it's so awkward, dude. It's so awkward, but I mean the whole the like the place setting is great. I mean, they really go all in on the whole greenhouse flower deal. The connection between Gatsby and Daisy though, and more specifically just the chemistry between Leonardo DiCaprio and Carrie Mulgan is great. It's like super believable and it feels like two people who were in love at one point and come back together after a long time. I love this part of the movie. It's my favorite part. I think it's great. And uh, I agree with you that, you know, most of the commentary is lost when they're doing that, the beautiful shirt scene and there's kind of lounging in Gatsby's place. But, you know, that's more or less a choice because, you know, they're not uncomfortable throwing F. Scott Fitzgerald narration text on screen. They could have done it here, but they just kind of, oh, I think they just kind of let Leo kind of cook with him, like making his plans and stuff and visualizing that as opposed to like more of the social commentary, which I do miss. But, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't bother me as much, but also because I don't it's, it's not my favorite scene in the movie. It's very well done. And like you said, like they nailed the whole fucking greenhouse tea thing and and even nick is like trying to get their attention with the dishes and it's not working at this point in the movie though it really turns at least for me watching it what the movie does is it takes the story and it makes it this romantic tragedy entirely where in the book i felt like it balanced the romantic side of it and the relationship between gatsby and daisy with the social conversation about class and everything. And I feel like we lose some of that in the movie where where the attention, you're really right. The attention is all about this relationship and it's not, it, it isn't really about the wanton disregard of any, like of the upper class towards anybody else. Yeah. I think I think that's also evident in the hottest day of the year hotel scene when, you know, instead of just being generally confused, they have this scene where Gatsby like blows up and almost fights Tom. Yes. And that fit of rage is kind of what they make. Like they implied that's why Daisy's now turning away from Gatsby. And they use that instead of any of the actual social status commentary that you were talking about it's really this kind of 
Gatsby blows up and has this fit of rage question mark and then Myrtle dies and that's why that's yeah why it's leaves. this weird implication that they throw in that like people of a lesser class are more prone to losing their temper temper and acting even though Tom is on screen beating a woman right right like, but it's them adding that i i really didn't like that with gatsby no it made up, no sense i was just like this isn't part of the book and it's getting away from the fact that like it has everything to do with where you came from and your position that makes you and not how you react to people calling you I out what, on it yeah i'm not defending it but i think what they were trying to do is just show that like that's to show that gadsby thinks that tom's right when he says he's not one of us he's not a real like man of class i think that's supposed to be like his reaction is supposed to be like okay you know the stuck pig squeals loudest obviously this is hitting a soft spot with you but they could have done that in so many better ways like, in that scene in the book gadsby's just rope-a-doping tom and being like yeah, I got the cool head, man. I know Daisy loves me. There's no blow up. He's like, you might think you know me, but you really don't. And your wife doesn't love you. And like, that's kind of the, what the dialogue is in the book. Right. And doesn't that make it more meaningful that Daisy still leaves him after that? Yeah, right. I definitely think so. Because because he doesn't get an explicit reason. Now that you see that and you're like, well, why would I leave this guy? Right. Like, why would I leave this guy for this guy? Like, yes. Some of the other stuff that the movie throws in here is it fills in some of the blanks of what Daisy and Gatsby are doing together when Nick isn't there. So during the the time between when Nick goes with Daisy to Gatsby's house and then later goes with Gatsby to lunch at the Buchanan's, in the book, we don't really get much information other than Daisy has been to Gatsby's several times. In the movie, they're like, oh, yeah, Gatsby and Daisy are straight boinking. Like, yeah, they're, they're sleeping together. Hundo P. Which we know, but it's just a it's another thing that the movie throws in to kind of like solidify this romance between the two. And I don't hate that. The, the thing that I don't love is that there are moments where they make Daisy more bought into the idea of Gatsby than I feel like she ever was in the book. This is a great point. They make it, they, they give her even like a couple lines of being like, we're going to run away. I wish I'd but done no. everything on earth with you. End quote. Yeah. It's like, no, she doesn't. Yeah. Like, okay. She just hates her husband. <laughs> or, or maybe she, maybe she does think that, but that we never hear that in the book. I just they think make it seemed like she was going to leave Tom for Gatsby all the way up until when Gatsby freaks out. That's the implication in the movie. Well, there's one other point, too, that I was really upset with, because when Gatsby has Tom and Daisy over for his party. And by the way, the whole polo player thing. Hilarious. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Awesome. It's so great. I love that they included that. But. Daisy has a good time at this party where in the book, she's like very uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah. She's like embarrassed for Gatsby at this party. Yeah. And in the movie, she's having a good time. She dances with Gatsby. It's all good. They go away and have their little talk. And 
like you said, it really seems like Daisy's coming onto this idea of being with Gatsby forever. Now, one thing they do correctly is Daisy's like, oh, we should just go away. And Gatsby's like, that's never the idea. We're staying here. You just have to leave your husband and be cool with that. So I get that. The way this party ends, though, is what makes me mad. Gatsby gets pulled off for a phone call, and there's this weird invented narration where Nick's like Gatsby or Daisy waited for Gatsby to come to her, but he was held away on his phone call. And it's like, yeah, dude, what? No, like that's not that's not how this works. So it's a weird way of trying to like add in that Gatsby's they're making up excuses to excuse away the things that they're creating between Gatsby and Daisy. You know, it's like, well, we've already created this thing where they're actually into running away together. They're just negotiating how, so we have to make this other, other thing that breaks that up. And it's like, why, 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 why are you doing all this more work? Right. And, and this really gets to my biggest issue with this movie, which is, like I said before, how it turns it into just this romance between Gatsby and Daisy and doing the different kind of like addition and subtra- subtraction between Tom and Gatsby and who's worse or whatever. In the book, it does a great job of explaining how this can't happen because of class stuff. Like it d- doesn't have anything to do with Gatsby being on the phone and leaving Daisy alone at a party or blowing up at Tom when they're talking. It's like Gatsby is from nothing. Daisy, you'd be blowing up your whole life by doing this. So it gets away from what I think is one of the biggest points of the whole story. You're you're totally right. And it is even more infuriating for me, the fact that they'll do that and it weighs down all the stuff they do right. Because after they make up this bullshit about how Daisy was bummed because Gatsby took a phone call, then they do the scene where Gatsby talks to Nick about how she doesn't like it. I'm going to do all this for her. And like Nick's like, you can't recreate the past. And Leo's acting when he's like, can't replay the past. He's like, of course you can. Like he's He looks like a maniac mm-hmm. in that scene, which is like how it reads in the book. You're like, this guy is pretty deranged. He's got some clear like issues with how he views other people in his life. And Leo is just, you know, he's cooking, he's in the kitchen, he's doing his movie star professional actor thing. And he is like, he's acting the hell of it. His eyes are welling up with tears, but he's got this like weird smile on his face. And like a scene like that, where you're like, okay, you have one of the best actors of a generation playing one of the most important fictional characters in American literature history. And he's doing everything right. And you're doing a disservice to him by adding all these things that I assume they thought would make the movie more compelling, but just like piss off people like us that are like, no, the book's good because it's good for X, Y, and Z, not A, B, and C that you're implying here. I totally agree. And what the movie tries to do is it tosses in stuff that is about this class divide where, you know, there's conversations, there's when they're, you know, at lunch, the Buchanans, there's this comment about money making people equal. Gatsby says, well, I am just as rich as you, Tom. So I'm just as classy as a person as you are. Tom's like, no, that's not what it is. So they sprinkle this stuff in on top, 
but they don't make it the meat the way the book does. Yeah. This is why I think part of why this book is so great is because you end it and you aren't sure who you're supposed to like or root for at the end of this story. I Do you feel the same way about the movie? No, it's very clearly that Gatsby was done in mm-hmm. and was is the, 100% the victim and the situation was not of his making. You know, and this also might be what was supposed to be like implied in the book, but when Myrtle dies, one, they have a really good job of like the detail from the book is in the movie they have, you know, his friend who's who's got the Greek accent. So that's like Mikolnos or whatever his name is. And they have the black guy who identifies the yellow car. That's all right there. So it's not like they didn't have the book to guess on. But then they have this conversation between Tom and Wilson where he's like, yeah, that was Gatsby's car. Someone's got to do a thing about that guy, right? You're going to go do something about Gatsby. Who, who knows? Everyone's justified. And it's like, oh, so you just told him to kill him. You didn't just say, oh, that's not my car. That's Gatsby's car. I don't know anything about going on. Like, yeah. Yeah, it makes. And now Gatsby, because it's there's no longer this class thing and he doesn't he isn't seen as like as like scheming as he is in the book. His death is like. Way more of like not a product of his own like making or anything. It's like, oh, Tom had him killed. Right. It, it takes away the class stuff and also this unlikable character of uh, characteristic of Gatsby where he's not treating Daisy like a human being. He's chasing this dream as if Daisy's like, I think the way you put it before was the cherry on top of his life Sunday, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we get away from that by making Leonardo DiCaprio and Gatsby, this super desirable guy. And, make it into a forbidden romance that is broken apart by a clear villain who conspires against the hero resulting in his death. Yeah. It it doesn't make a ton of sense. I, uh, I will say that the final scene where Nick and Gatsby are kind of talking and he's like, you should go away. And he's like, no, but come inside. I'm going to tell you my life story. I thought that was really well done. And you can tell that Tobey Maguire and DiCaprio have been friends for years outside of this movie because their chemistry as Nick and Gatsby is really, really good. And that last scene I thought was extremely well done. No, I agree with you. Yeah, that that was really nice. I I think my last kind of just thoughts on this movie is if you were to ask me, do you like the 2013 Great Gatsby? I would say as a movie, as like a whole film from beginning to end, I would say no. However, I fuck with some of the scenes in this movie so hard. Like there are certain parts of this movie that are so great and so rewatchable, but put all of it together for a lot of the stuff that we said that was wrong. And I'm just kind of like, this doesn't make sense. It's not. It's not good. I think um, I think that's fair. And I think maybe give it some distance from when we read the book and when I rewatch it next and I might have a different opinion because I might be able to do less analytical stuff that we're trying to do, trying to like actually catch all those differences and stuff, because I think I like this movie. I think there are parts of it that make me confused 
and make me a little like mad be like why are we doing this some of the art choices are what but i think as a movie i gotta give them props for filling all the plot in. they didn't cut they had 85 percent of the book in there which is better than a lot of book to movies that's hard to do they did it well and i think like you said like there's there's just some scenes in that movie that just go really hard that are just awesome and right. are really well done and it's it's when they try to really swing that i think is a problem i think they you know but if i was you know paid a lot of money to be a producer in 2013 to be on this movie i would have been like hey guys we don't need to try that hard everything we need is right there we don't need to do all this crazy shit stick to the plot stick to the aesthetic we can add in all these modern needle drops that's great let's let's cut it let, let, let's minimize let's let's cut the floating text by like 60 percent Right. Like why turn it up to 15 when 11 will do, you know? Yeah. 11's loud as hell, man. Yeah. Like we don't need 15. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I feel. All right. Well, luckily for us as Gatsby fans, there have been rumblings about a TV series, limited TV series coming out based on the great Gatsby. So the network that it's going to be on, I believe, is yet to be announced, but it's tied to the producer on or the writer and producer on shows like The Tudors and Vikings. Um, so it sounds like it could be really good. However, I have not seen a cast list for this yet. And so there hasn't been, I don't think. It was your great idea to take this opportunity to recast this story. And I, and I do so in part because of, and now we do take accountability hour at the end of last episode, we said that there wasn't another movie of this made one second after we stopped recording. I Googled and immediately found two editions of the story that have been made one in the seventies with Robert Redford can't minimize my guy, Rob, and <laughs> one in the two thousands a made for TV movie starring Paul Rudd as Nick Carraway, which I would have liked to see. That seems like good casting to me for the time. That's great. But yes, we are going to be starting a new casting thing. We're going to go one for one. Why don't you start with your Gatsby? Most important, he's the great one. And then I'll go into my pick, which I think will make you mad. Okay. My Gatsby, I chose Tom Hiddleston. Ooh. So interesting. Tom Hiddleston, for those who don't know, he plays Loki in all of the Marvel stuff. And I chose him because I think he can pull off the really charming guy, though also look like a guy that is from humble means. And he has an edge to him. Yeah. And, and yeah. And has a little bit of mystery behind him, too. But I don't know. I was really conflicted about this one because my second pick and this is just my honorable mention, I'll throw it in here. And it doesn't work considering that this whole movie, this whole story is about white people. But I would love to see Mahershala Ali <laughs> as Gatsby. But it's mostly just because I fucking love him. Um, so that's mine. My my honorable mention would, would be like a Michael B. Jordan type as well. Right. Someone who would have that. Um, so my pick that's going to make you mad is a total cop out. I would have um, actor yet to be discovered. I would want their first ever role 
in a major production to be this because Gatsby's this guy who blows in out of nowhere, charms the pants off of New York and has all this mystery. People have to speculate about him. They don't know anything about him. I would do a national and, and international. So like, you know, Europe and United States and Canada casting call. And I would search for like a year. You know, on casting just Gatsby and find some guy who hasn't had a break yet because I love the idea of Tom Hiddleston. But the thing is, everyone I was thinking about for Gatsby, I hate that I had I know them from like other IP, like Game of Thrones or Star Wars or the Marvel movies or the DC movies. All these great choices you have so much baggage with. And I love the idea of Gatsby coming out of nowhere. And like when you go see this movie, he wouldn't do any media. Yeah. Everyone else would be doing media. He wouldn't be uncredited <laughs> Un, like, like, yeah. like, or he'd be credited, but you'd be like, yo, this guy's IMDB is literally empty. It's Gatsby in this, like who the fuck is this dude? And then his acting and the character would speak for itself. Risky, but I love that. I really love that. Okay. You like that? Okay. I thought the cop out wouldn't be appreciated. No, but, I actually, yeah, I actually really appreciate it. Cause it, it, I mean, everything that you just laid out makes total sense. So why don't you go next? I don't know who you want to take. Um, who you want to take uh, as your next for, pick? But I, I think I'll I'll make it easy. So that was the hard. I really had to wrestle with that, and I kind of came up with that idea of the open casting uh, for Nick Carraway. This was my easiest one. Daniel Radcliffe. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's really good. And I actually was considering him too. Um, you know you can do, you know we can do the American accent because he did um, How to Succeed in Business right without really trying on Broadway and that's like the kind of like hey guys kind of like sure fifties forties accent that you can do so maybe tell him to tone it down a little bit to have a little bit more of a narrator voice but I think he'd be a perfect Nick Carraway. I'm with you on that. This one he's with- kind of small. He can fit in the background of scenes without taking him over, but he's famous and he's a good actor. This one was kind of a throwaway one for me because I was like, who is kind of a this makes it sound bad. Like I don't like this person. I really do. Who's kind of like a plain person that you can just like throw into any, into mm-hmm. any role and it just works. I said Jake Gyllenhaal. And I like, I, I wanted Jake Gyllenhaal to be Gatsby. I thought he was a little too old, but I do love him in this. So here's the deal. All of my casting or a lot of my casting minus some of the women in this they're all older, but they're all older. Okay. It's because it's because of what we talked about before where I'm like, what am I going to do? Cast Timothy Chalamet <laughs> like as Gatsby right now? Like, I, what? Yeah. No, 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 no. So, so yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, but I, I mean, you know, whatever it's Nick Carraway. So I like your Daniel well, Radcliffe pick though. That that's better. I think. Why don't you uh, give me your Daisy? All right. So I had a few for this. Um, okay. So my first one, I said Florence Pugh. And I think it works just because I think she can nail, I think she could get the voice really well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she's got the look for it too. Kind of what we talked about before. She's kind of a comp uh, for Carrie Mulligan. But I had a tough time with this one. I had a couple other ones. So honorable mentions, including Felicity Jones. And um, I threw Margot Robbie in there too, just for shits and gigs. I think Margot Robbie, while a great actress and definitely pretty enough to do it, I think she's just just a very expressive actor. And I think Daisy has to be more reserved. 
which is why I chose Saoirse Ronan. Okay, so that was my fourth person on my list, actually. That was your fourth one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think (laughs) Saoirse Ronan is, like, same camp as Florence Pugh, but I think that she could maybe do the... Because, like, I would like Florence Pugh, and this is jumping ahead, but I I think I would like her more for, like, maybe, like, a Myrtle or a Jordan Baker where she gets to, like, actually, like, cook more. Mm. I think that... Sergi Ronan could do more of like the like internal stuff. I like that. Sergi Ronan. So I went Sersha first and then I saw Florence Pugh and I was like, oh, maybe. So Sersha was my first pick. And then I got, for whatever reason, I thought too much about it and moved her down the list. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I, cause I did the opposite. I did Florence Pugh first. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I think Sersha would be better. So, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned Myrtle. So let's go there real quick. Who'd you have for uh, for Myrtle? So I had a couple for Myrtle. A lot of like the really fun kind of character actresses that are working, like Florence Pugh, others. I settled with uh, Karen Gillan, who plays uh, Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy mm. and the Avengers and stuff. Um, I think she's a, she was on, also on Doctor Who. Um, I think she's uh, very talented. I think she looks the part. I think that would just be a nice addition because you don't want Myrtle to be like too famous. I went completely the completely opposite direction as you on the fame okay, side well, of things. Yeah, let's hear it. I said either Scarlett Johansson or Jennifer Lawrence because both of them. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence nails this. Don't you think so? Like Jennifer Lawrence would probably be my my first pick between those two because I think she okay. nails the. God, it's hard to say it's hard to say this without sounding like super mean, but like the kind of promiscuous type, you know? Well, you know what's great about this? She would spend the entire movie being mad she's not Daisy, which right. is what you need from that character. Exactly. Like she'd, she'd be mad she didn't get cast as Daisy, so that would translate well into her role as Myrtle. Yes, totally. Let's do Tom. And this one was one that I think I had the most fun thinking about yeah so did i i went with bradley cooper and bradley cooper oh it's good like you said he's literally just wedding crashers yeah, bradley cooper. yes exactly so as the sack but gatsby edition dude it would be so yes. fun he li- he already plays that character literally just the abusive douchebag like fiance <laughs> right. character yeah um, I thought him. I also thought uh, Chris Evans reprising his um, role from Knives Out. Knives Out. Yeah. And um, Scott Pilgrim, just like the huge <laughs> dude. He can do it. He's got it in him for sure. So I thought he would be really good. I also so one of the what I picked was um, Aaron Tyler Johnson from Kick-Ass and mm. uh, like Outlaw King. He's in a bunch of random stuff. Yeah. And I think he's got the build for it. He's got the shot. I haven't seen him play like a funny character necessarily, but I think that Tom is more like unintentionally funny. Yeah. No, for he's sure. like he if he like because of his sincerity, he thinks he's cool, but he's actually a massive douchebag. And that's where the humor comes from. Yeah. So I thought either him or Chris Evans would be really good for that. I like that. Do you have casting for anybody else that you want to go through i mean everybody else is kind of minor but yeah for jordan baker i had emma stone i yeah that works um she was one that was tough for me just because if i had the choice i would just recast like run it back with elizabeth the she's so good 
Um, yeah, she's perfect. And so for that one, I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Uh, Wolf Sheem, I had either Sasha Baron Cohen or Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, dude. That's too much. <laughs> too much. Just a couple of hams on there. <laughs> I said Javier Bardem. Ooh, very good. Do you like that? That's really good. I could see Javier Bardem. Well, well, yeah, he would make Wolf Sheem scary. Like, I feel like he's supposed to be scary. And in the movie, there's like, this guy's kind of weird. But in the book, you're like, yo, this is kind of fucking scary. I think Javier Bardem doing like (laughs) no country for all of him. It's like, how much have you ever lost on a human molar? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. That was exactly my thought. All right. Last person, uh, I think this is the last like named person, unless we want to get into the, you know, party at the apartment. But Wilson, Mister Wilson, I had a, I had Joe Dempsey. He, he's famous of Game of Thrones. He plays Gendry. Oh, interesting. Okay, kind of like a that guy. He can play dirty really well. You can, you can. I, I don't know. I just, I just saw him. I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense to me. I don't no, know. No, so your pick, your pick makes way more sense than mine because I do think that Wilson does have to be a that guy. Like. Mm-hmm. that's one and Myrtle I think you can get away with somebody a little bit more famous but Wilson Mr. Wilson I do think has to be that guy so my pick doesn't really make much sense it's I, I said Adam Driver oh but he fits the kind of like yeah kind of maybe quieter quieter weirder. kind of like dopey-ish kind of guy mm-hmm. like I think he can play that so I don't know I, I like your pick better though for that one I like Adam Driver in most things though so I'm always down for Adam Driver getting a check. Oh, Marriage Story was brutal. I I, I can't watch it. <laughs> All right. I'm not gonna. So before we go, I do have one update for all of you listening. Somebody sent in a submission to us with a question on the kind of what did we miss side of things. And I just want to read a little bit of this. So Katie says... One thing I think is really interesting you mention is how Daisy, when she's leaving the party, kind of looks back and hopes that Gatsby doesn't meet anyone else slash is stolen away. I think that's such a good note for Fitzgerald to put in there because I feel like it's such a common thing to know that you're better off without said, quote, one that got away, but still kind of hope that they stayed just yours. It's unfair of her, but I feel like this is especially tempting for her because of the kind of devotion that Gatsby has where it's so consuming that just his longing for her is romantic. In other words, she wouldn't ever be with him, but she likes that he's obsessed with her. It makes her feel special in a way that she definitely doesn't get from Tom. So thank you, Katie, for sending that in. Um, Yeah, we talked about this moment just a little bit uh, in episode two, and... I think it really is an important one. And that's part of the reason I think in the movie that I was so pissed that they fucked this part up by just having Gatsby on the phone when Daisy's leaving. Yeah, it's a great, it's very well worded. And it's something that while I read, I definitely noticed that she, that he didn't want that, but that's, that explains the feelings extremely well. It's a very human thing for F Scott to write. And thank you, Katie, for picking that out. It's a great analysis. All right. So, For anybody else listening, again, feel free to send us an email. Tell us what you think. You can reach us at bibliotakes at gmail.com. So we'll be looking for those. Moving forward, we're going to take a 
tiny little break. So no episode next week. Uh, following that, we will be coming back to you with a new book that we will just leave as a surprise until we start. But we're excited to get that out there for you guys. So make sure to tune in in about two weeks. And we will see you then. Thanks so much.